In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Well, it's officially campaign season in Georgia, and we're kicking off this fun, fantastic season with a podcast for Politically Georgia. I'm Greg Bluestein, and I'm here with Jim Galloway, and we're going to discuss qualifying week and news from the state legislature. Hey, Jim. Good afternoon. How's it going? It's been a, it's been a crazy, another wild and crazy week in Georgia politics, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, with it, with uh, more than one or two or three or a dozen surprises. Yeah, and we'll get right into that. I mean, we, we're just finishing a week long qualifying period, and of course, qualifying is the is the Monday through Friday experience every two years when to run for state office, legislature, for governor, for any statewide um, election, or for the U.S. House or Senate, you have to qualify. You have to formally file your paperwork, and that's what we just witnessed this, these past five days. Right, right. What well, this is what. What, what the Republican and Democratic parties are doing, uh, have done this week now, is that they have constructed their ballots for the May 22 primary and thus the, the November general elections to follow. And it's not a very uh, sexy or <laughs> very fun-filled atmosphere. Basically, there are two different offices on opposite sides of the Capitol, one for Democrats and one for Republicans. And on, especially on Monday morning, there was a really long line for, for both, for candidates who are looking to run for office. Um, the big theme for Democrats, and this is a major one, was in 2016, they did not contest a bunch of uh, competitive seats that they could have picked up a few seats on. This year, they are, right, Jim? This is, this is, this is the first concrete evidence that we're getting of a wave, uh, a, 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 an anti-Trump backlash, a wave of almost, primary, uh, almost solely Democratic women signing up for office, first-time first time office seekers. Uh, it's, it's a new phenomenon, and, and it was actually pretty darn strong this week. Yeah, let's talk about those numbers for a little bit. The number of women qualifying to run for the state Senate shot up by about 40% from 2016. In the House, the number of female candidates increased by about 25%. Why do you think that is? Well, because you've had, uh, immediately after Donald Trump's election, you had the, the these massive women's march marches uh, in D.C., but also in Atlanta. I think you had tens of thousands of people marching marching uh, uh, to the Capitol the day after Donald Trump's inauguration in, in Atlanta. And what Democrats have been able to do is to take that entry point of tens of thousands of activated women and seize on a, a, a good number of them and keep them engaged for the better part of a year, starting uh, starting to train train them up as as candidates. Uh, I was talking to Melita Easters, who runs the Georgia Win List uh, this week. Her organization supports first-time female candidates, uh, trains them, holds year-long classes for them. 
Uh, she said that prior to 2016, her class size averaged maybe 20 people every year, and they've been doing this for 18 years. In, 26, in 2017, last year, the class size quadrupled to 80. Wow. And Melita just called. She's trekking to for, confirm these numbers, but she believes this is the most women who have ever run for public office in Georgia. And in contrast that with what's happening on the Republican side, on the Republican side, on the statewide ballot, you only have three women running uh, for insurance commissioner, for PSC, and for a state school superintendent, uh, not the incumbent. And that's, that, that's going to be an interesting race, too, that state su- su- school superintendent. In, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Senate, we were mentioning uh, the uh, state legislative numbers. The number of female, can- female Republican candidates actually went down from 2016 to 2018. And let, let's talk a little bit more about Democratic surge. Democrats competed in about 82 of the 180 House races in 2016. This year, they're going to have 121 contests, including most of the 14 GOP-held districts that Hillary Clinton carried. Uh, it's the largest number of Democratic House candidates since 2004. That just shows you where the energy and enthusiasm is on the Democratic side. Right. Now, the question is, can they keep it up till, till through, through May? And not bloody themselves in a series of primaries, and then keep it keep that enthusiasm going through November. And that's a huge question because think think about it, just at the top of the ticket, you've got Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans both running for governor, both in a pretty um, so far uh, you know very intense primary between those two candidates. And that's that's the, that's an instance where 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 what didn't happen was probably the most important thing. We didn't have a third candidate for governor sign up on the Democratic side. That means there's going to be no runoff. The decision will be made May 22nd as to which, which, which woman is going to lead the party. And contrast that with the Republican side. You've got seven Republican candidates for governor, seven. Five of them sort of you know, more credible candidates who have held public office before, and two, uh, two others as well. But there's almost definitely going to be a runoff in the Republican side, unless somehow Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, who's about between low 40s and high 30s in, in the polls right now, uh, puts all his money in, in, in one, uh, one big push and tries to make it uh, to, to an outright win. And, 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 and quite frankly, I don't think he can do that. I don't think he'll try to do that. With seven people, I mean, that means the second birth in, the, in a runoff could be won with 15% of the vote, 17% of the vote. It's, it's, it's quite small. So qualifying is this very bizarre experience, as we mentioned before, uh, and one of them is is a lot of candidates wait until the very last minute to either declare they're running or declare they're retiring. And we had a pretty and big de- retirement. Yeah, declare they're reti- re- retiring and, uh, and, and, and have somebody under their arm saying, he's going to fill my spot. And we had exactly that uh, this, uh, this past few days with Earl Earhart, right? Right, right. Yeah, the longest serving Republican um, in in the Capitol, I think, uh, mm-hmm. uh, was elected first elected in, in 1988 yeah. out of Cobb, out of Northwest Cobb County. He's 30 years, and he did come to the Capitol arm in arm with uh, his preferred successor. Who is that? Ginny uh, Ginny Earhart. Ginny Earhart is his wife, and he, and she is running for his seat. And there's a female de- de- uh, Democrat running against her. That's the trend we're seeing over and over and over again. And it's not just competitive suburban districts. One of the more interesting races is, is further outside of Atlanta. It's Gerald Green. Gerald Green is an uh, incumbent Republican. Used to be Democrat, switched parties. Right, South Georgia. South Georgia. And, but it is in a very Democratic uh, stronghold, right? It's, it's stronghold. A- it's, 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 it's majority African-American district. Uh, this is Cuthbert. 
and uh, and for years, uh, Democrats could never persuade anybody to run against him. This year, they have uh, retired health administrator Joyce Barlow, an African American female, is running for that seat, and it's another top target of, of for Democrats. And they were very happy. I could see I was I was sitting right outside the qualifying room when she qualified, and there was almost cheers within the Democratic Party establishment that that, that had that they had gotten someone to qualify for that. Oh election. yeah, I, I had talked to Bob Trammell, the House Minority Leader, a couple of days before that. And, and they were worried that they wouldn't be able to get it. And, 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 and Green was very vulnerable. He got uh, caught in a very uh, questionable circumstance uh, a year and a half or so ago. In, uh, was was shot, actually, uh, behind a, uh, behind a adult video, film an, an adult video story. arcade. <laughs> I don't know what you call them, but whatever it was, he was shot outside of it. In very suspicious circumstances, he's recovered. He's back at the Georgia legislature, and, and now he faces sort of the battle of his, the political battle of, of his life right now. Um, and further down the ticket, we've had some really interesting races. You mentioned um, the lieutenant governor's race. We've got three Republicans in that race trying to succeed Casey Cagle, and we also have a pair of Democrats, both women, Triana Arnold James and Sarah Riggs Amico. And Sarah Riggs Amico has already sort of established herself as the front runner. Hasn't I she? think I think so. She's got she's she's got the access to, to funds. She is a CEO of a trucking company out my way in West Cobb, and she's she is a she is an unusual animal these days for for Democrats. She's an evangelical pro-choice Democrat. And one side note about her: I was with her when she qualified as well. She brought her entire immediate family. Uh, including her seven four-year-old daughters. And her four-year-old daughter, Ava, uh, came over me, tugged me, tugged up my pants and said, you're stinky. And uh, immediately an embarrassed uh, uh, Sarah Riggs Amico said, don't worry, that is the utmost of compliments that you could be called as stinky. And I, I took that as that. Okay, essential. all right. I'll, yeah, all right. We'll let that one pass. <laughs> I'll take, let's talk about some of the um, the big name candidates that did not run. We, we, we mentioned Earl Earhart on the Republican side, but we also had rumors that two other former mayoral candidates for Atlanta mayor last year, uh, we're going to seek higher office, but did not. Vincent Fort comes to mind first. Right. I ran into him on Wednesday. He was dipping in on a Senate Transportation Committee meeting, and I asked him whether he had made his decision yet, and he said, oh, wait and see, wait and see. By Wednesday, if you're still asking me to wait and see, you're not going to do it. And Vincent was the number two ranking Democrat in the Georgia House who came in fifth in the mayor's race. The sixth place finisher is Cesar Mitchell, who's the former city council president of Atlanta. He was thinking about running for the attorney general and decided against it. Yeah, and that one, actually, that one I thought had a little more sense to it. Uh, Cesar, Cesar Mitchell is an attorney with a, a, a top Top-notch uh, law firm. In fact, a uh, couple door, office doors down from him is Saxby Shambliss, the former Republican U.S. senator. That was I, I was kind of surprised that he did skip that. We've talked about state legislature. We've talked about statewide contests. But let's talk about the U.S. House races. I think the biggest shakeup there was the decision by Lucy McBath, a nationally known gun control activist, who became such after her uh, 17-year-old son was shot and killed six years ago in, um, in Florida, She's deciding instead of running for a state house seat in, in up in Cobb County, she's running for the sixth district against Karen Handel. Right, right, and there were two, uh, three other Democrats in the race. Two of them have raised substantial funds and have gotten quite a few endorsements already. So this is going to uh, one is Bobby Capel, uh, out of North. Uh, both of these fellows are North Fulton, and the other is Kevin Abel. Uh, he's a businessman. Bobby Capel is a CBS former CBS forty six a- anchor. Uh, this is this is going to get interesting because number one, I think she's got a very good shot at it. But 
she didn't tell anybody she was going to do that. This this was came out of the blue to 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 Democratic leaders in the area, and this race had already progressed a great deal. The hurdle they thought was whether John Ossoff was going to run against it, and he di- and he didn't. But uh, you had the chairman of the the Congressional Black Caucus out of Washington come here three weeks ago and hold a quiet fundraiser for, for Bobby Cable. Now, now, what is, what is he going to do now? Because Lucy McBath is African-American, and she's female. She fits the profile that Democrats are seeking uh, for, for victory in Georgia. And there's a chance that she could turn this race, or this race could be transformed into something of a referendum on gun control. Uh, Karen Handel has a very high rating from the NRA, and Lucy McBath is... Is, is very proud to not <laughs> have anything to do with NRA. Is that right? Right, right. But and not, which means neither side is going to be wanting for money uh, if, if 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 McBath turns out to be the, the nominee. Uh, the 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 rub here comes is as we learned in the sixth district race. That district is drawn for GOP for GOP dominance. It's seventy percent plus white voters. Uh, as we said, Lucy McBath is African American. She thinks the gun violence issue can transcend race and and maybe bring in younger voters uh, in a way that that hasn't been done before and she she, she may have a point here I would also point that it's the 6th district which c- covers a lot of North Fulton most of North Fulton mm-hmm. a good a, a good bit of East Cobb it has some of the best public high schools in the state and those those parents are very protective of those schools and it was the home of course of the most watched uh, Georgia special election we've ever experienced, at least at least I have, the $60 million affair between Karen Handel and, and John Ossoff that ended up in a four-point Karen Handel victory. But it, but, it, but it brought out a whole lot, a whole lot of new Democratic women uh, as a, as a get-out-the-vote effort. And right next door, there might be a, a race that's, that's almost as competitive uh, in the 7th District, which is uh, mostly Gwinnett County and a little bit of uh, Forsyth County, which the Forsyth County part is the deep red part. The Gwinnett ca- County part is the fast-changing sort of purplish part. Rob Woodall is the incumbent there, and he's facing, I think it's uh, seven opponents, including one Republican and six Democrats. Right, and, and and when I last looked, three of those Democrats were women, mm-hmm. and two Asian American businessmen. So that's a very diverse field. There's an African American woman for the from the Forsyth part who's looking to double down on Forsyth and getting Democrats in that area to come out. Um, two, yeah, two Asian American businessmen, both with entrepreneurial backgrounds, who say that, that it's time for them to start uh, getting that you know the Asian American part of the community galvanized. And two white Democrats who are running, including one who's run before and lost to Rob Woodall uh, two years ago. Right. And, and if look, if you put a gun to my head and ask me which congressional districts Democrats are likely to flip, I, I would I would pick the seventh rather than the six with Karen Handel. Yeah. And, and, and also, it should be noted that up and down the ticket, there are Democrats running for just about every other U.S. House contest. Everyone on the ballot, every U.S. House incumbent on the ballot has an, has an opponent except for one. It's John Lewis. Yeah, and even down even down on the coast, Buddy Carter has has two Democrats wanting to take him on. And the other, you know, the another fascinating race we'll be watching is Jody Heiss. 
Uh, Jody Heiss is so, was so comfortable in his seat that he didn't even draw a Democratic challenger in 2016. He, uh, he easily beat a Republican challenger the last contest he had, but didn't have a Democrat. Now he's got several Democrats who are each kind of trying to outdo each other on the left. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a who can be the most Bernie Sanders uh, like on on the rest. So so we'll we'll see. I'm I'm a little doubtful of Demo- Democratic prospects on that one. Yeah, that that's still a very Republican leaning district. And one more note about qualifying um, for all the energy and activity, excitement at the top of the ticket and for the legislative races, it hasn't really transcended down to the ju- judicial contests. There's not a single incumbent. Um, Georgia Supreme Court justice who's facing a challenger, and that includes for the vacant seat that that um, John Ellington, who is a court of appeals judge, is seeking for the Supreme Court. Oh, that, I, I did not know that. Here, here's my question, I and mean, I haven't I haven't looked at the at the website lately. Did John Ellington pick up an opponent? Not at all. No, he'll be one of the newest Georgia Supreme Court justices, and so did one, two, three, four other incumbents. Incumbent Georgia Supreme Court justices also didn't face opposition. Um, so they'll also go into another term. Ellington's important. I mean, he's he, he originally was put on the bench by Roy Barnes, so you know he's he's got Democratic roots. But he he walked into this race with with endorsements from Nathan Deal, from House Speaker David Ralston, from uh, did, I don't think he got Casey Cagle, but I think he did get Butch Miller uh, on on the Senate pro, President Pro Tem. We're very very pleased to give you one of our favorite weekly features. This is James Salzer with Phrase of the Week. For the children, or in Georgia parlance, for the children, ever since I was a little boy, people would say this or that is as American as apple pie. I, I don't really like apple pie all that much. I like peach pie or maybe rhubarb pie, but nobody ever says this bill is as American as rhubarb pie, except maybe if you're like from Michigan or someplace like that. Anyways, we hear a lot at the Capitol about bills that are for the children or for the children, and it's the equivalent of as American as apple pie. The adoption bill passed because it was definitely for the children. Education funding is always an issue that's debated here, and you know everybody knows education funding is all about the children. I suppose they could probably make an argument that a big tax giveaway to Georgia Power would be for the children. I just haven't figured out how that would work, but they'll try. So now let's go to some of the lightning round for the news that we're expecting in this coming week. What's the biggest legislative issue you're watching this week? Oh... Uh, the biggest one, I, I will tell you what is. It may be the newest one. It was a, it was a bit of subterfuge uh, that that occurred Thursday uh, in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, we previously had a HB six sixty, a hate crimes bill introduced by Megan Hansen. Uh, she's out, a Republican out of Brookhaven. It went nowhere. It didn't even get a committee hearing, so it died on crossover day. But. On Thursday, we had the chairman of the of the House Judiciary Committee. That's Wendell Willard. He's in his last term. He's not he's not seeking reelection. He took Senate Bill three seventy three. That was a dead bill. It was it was uh, originally filed by Lindsey Tippins out of Cobb County. It was supposed to give Cobb County an extra superior court judgeship, until they found out that the clerk of court had miscounted the number of cases that judges the judges there handle and that that judgeship wasn't needed. So the bill was stopped dead in its tracks. So what happened on Thursday was uh, Mr. Willard took that bill, emptied it out of the judicial contents, put the hate crime bill in there, and ran it through his committee, and it passed. And it has exemptions for uh, religion, 
it uh, for uh, well, I mean, it sets it sets out uh, protected classes on religion, national origin, homeless status, uh, sexual orientation, gender. Uh, and originally, they tried to put political views in there. That got that got stripped out. But it was passed by committee. It was. It's now sitting in in House rules. If it makes it to the floor, it's likely going to pass the House. And because it's the shell of a Senate bill, if the House sends it to the Senate, the Senate can only give it an agree disagree. They can't monkey with the contents. So it's either an up or down vote. If it's put on out on the floor, and that'll be a decision Casey Cagle has to make then it's likely to pass. And Georgia will no longer be one of the five states without a hate crimes bill. And this is a huge controversy because Georgia used to have the hate crimes bill. It was struck down by the Georgia Supreme Court about 15 years ago. It was in the mid-2000s it was struck down. Um, and, and, and even though more sort of suburban Metro Atlanta Republicans have been pushing for this, other conservatives are really concerned about this because they say a crime is a crime. It shouldn't be made even worse if it's a quote-unquote hate crime. Right, yeah. Uh, religious conservatives uh, have spoken up against it, and they spoke it, uh, uh, up against it on Thursday. Um, you had the, the spokesman for the, the Georgia uh, Baptist Mission Board, uh, Mike Griffin, get up and, 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 and say what, what he said often before, that it creates a, a hierarchy of victims. It means, in, in their view, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it negates a 14th Amendment uh, equal protection and 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 treats uh, a a victim in this class more so uh, differently than than somebody else. And one of the things I'll be watching in the next couple of weeks is news that just broke that um, despite all the, uh, the the controversy and the fire and fury over the the Delta uh, punishment, when state lawmakers voted to strip a tax break for Delta after it severed ties with the NRA, it is not necessarily. Uh, scuttled the state's bid for Amazon's second headquarters, like some folks thought. Amazon is going to be sending emissaries to Georgia this month to scout out potential locations for its second headquarters, including downtown Atlanta, Dunwoody, Brookhaven, Midtown, all over the city, um, potential spots for that $5 billion campus. So that's a big deal. Yeah, and uh, the question now is whether Governor Deal would, will be able to do what he said he would do, and that is push through that jet that jet fuel tax credit uh, alone by itself in a piece of legislation or some uh, some other way, uh, which would actually kind of uh, bolster bolster the state's uh, it, well, it would bolster corporate confidence in that uh, a deal made is a deal that stays in the capital. Now the governor used the words non-negotiable when he was talking about that, but we'll see how non-negotiable it is because Lieutenant Governor Cagle really put himself in a box when he said. Uh, he would not reverse his position unless Delta reversed its, and Delta is not uh, backing down on its on its decision to sever ties with NRA. Oh, that's actually one thing we didn't mention with the Lucy McBath stuff. She's a former Delta flight attendant. That's going to make that 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 issue even more powerful. Yeah, one more wrinkle: a former Delta uh, uh, staffer uh, who's running for public office. We'll have to leave it there, but. For all the political stories you can possibly read about Georgia, please visit politicallygeorgia.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Bluestein and at Political Insider, and that's Political Insider without the last E because of uh, space restrictions. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast and rate us, and thank you for listening. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents Hip Hop's most pulled elements. 
are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.